Hey everyone, welcome back to your regularly scheduled SE podcast episode. I'm your host, David Hargett, and today we have one of my favorite guests so far. She is, in every way, the epitome of a beast. She she does it all. She's had an incredible story, been so influential in SE Pie, and really it felt like an honor and a privilege just talking with her. Please welcome to the podcast, Emma Kirst. Emma's been highly involved in entrepreneurship since high school, really. She's started some incredible programs, been featured in some very prestigious magazines and awards, and is an all-around amazing, intelligent, and kind individual. So please enjoy this episode as we discuss everything from middle school building designs to entrepreneurial venture funds to the human investment in what makes entrepreneurs special, as well as a mindset that'll help you live your happiest, best life. This is an interview that you simply cannot miss so thanks for being here, and once again, please enjoy. Great. Well, thank you so much for joining the show, Emma. We're so glad to have you here. You've been so influential with SEPI over the course of your tenure and, and beyond, so we just can't wait to have you and hear what you have to say. Yeah, absolutely. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Now, before we, before we get started, I have a bit of a silly question. I, I hear that you're a bit of a television connoisseur, an aficionado, if you will. So what has your latest binge watch been? I just watched the newest episode of WandaVision right before this, which is a really great show on Disney+. Plus. Um, would highly recommend. Yeah, we, I also recently started watching all The Sopranos. So I'm about two seasons through that. Um, so that's been quite interesting. I definitely did not think it would be a show I would like, but it's been kind of nice. Also work from home just gives a great format to be able to work and then have like a TV show in the background. Not sure if it's the best for productivity, but definitely at least gives me more time to be able to catch up on television. So that's fun. Definitely. That's a, that's a huge advantage. And productivity at this point, it's kind of out the window. We yeah. all, it's shot. We know that. <laughs> but that's good. I, I need to get catch up on my WandaVision. I'm a little bit behind. Huge MCU fan, but haven't found the time to squeeze it in. It's hard for me when I want to watch a television show, I really want to commit. So I don't have the time to watch every episode. I don't want to. I don't want to invest it. It's a real relationship for me. So that's been my yeah. I relate. Any like eight, uh, like eight season long TV shows, I find very. It seems like a huge commitment to start them. So I prefer newer TV shows where I can do like week by week, like those sorts of things. It's already like staggered out for me, so I can't really binge watch it. Very fair. Cool. And so just to kick it off a little bit more, focusing on our our topic here, entrepreneurship. Of course, as fascinating as Wandavision television is. Uh, that is our focus. But we wanted to talk a little bit first about you moving from Belgium, becoming an international student and coming to Michigan. How did SE Pi provide a home for you in this entrepreneurial ecosystem? Yeah. Um, so when I came to Michigan, I knew literally nobody had never had been to the Michigan campus once. Um, and that was my only time that I had been to Michigan prior to kind of moving in. And not knowing anybody on campus was kind of a terrifying endeavor. I had always been super involved with entrepreneurship stuff throughout middle school and high school. And so for me, it seemed like a natural fit. Um, I went to a, the club fair and when I went there and I walked around, I looked at a lot of the professional fraternities. At that stage, I kind of decided I didn't want to do sororities. And so I viewed pro professional fraternities as like a good in-between. And I noticed that all the other ones had dress codes and those sorts of things for their events. And it just seemed like it was a borderline networking event and not actually something that was a little bit more friendly and kind of more like a family. And so when I came across what was ENT at the time then, um, it just seemed a lot more casual and friendly. And like given my interest in entrepreneurship, it seemed like a natural fit. And yeah, it played a 
huge role in my time at Michigan. Like I joined my first semester freshman year and was heavily involved with it all throughout my senior year. And so what I found was it's just a great organization that kind of grew with me. When I joined initially, it was very small. Um, I think it was only about, our pledge class was the biggest I had ever taken. So I think it was like 18 people and there were less than 18 people in the fraternity prior to that. So there were more like pledges than there were brothers. And it was a very much like a thrown together, like the pledge process was very different back then. I think we maybe had two or three pledge meetings period. And so it was just a very different environment. There was kind of a fun feel to it and just being, getting to see it grow and develop and those sorts of things. Um, but yeah, it was just a phenomenal community for me. And I made like a lot of my closest friends through it. And yeah, it was just a very core part of my college experience as a whole. And I think like being an international student, which we have a shocking amount of international kids in SUPI as a whole, it just elevated it of like kind of giving it a home and also having a lot of people that were like me and coming from different backgrounds too, which was really cool. Exactly. And it's almost an entrepreneurship project in its own way. This club, we're kind of taking it through the prototyping process and ultimately bringing it to something that's still a work in process, but getting closer and closer till that pinnacle of just being a super inclusive, diverse group of entrepreneurially minded students. So your, your work has been highly influential in that process. And just to get back on another point that you touched on, coming in, we have a, an exceptional number of international students. And so I'm curious, how do you think that international background has impacted your interest in entrepreneurship? You mentioned doing some, some work in high school. Is that, was that a factor at all in this process for you? Yeah. Um, so just to give kind of like how I initially got involved with entrepreneurship, my first like entrepreneurial endeavor of school sorts was back when I was in middle school, we had a project for one of our classes where we were supposed to redesign the school. Um, I got super into it, um, came up with a pitch deck, a little cardboard prototype of what I thought the locker should look like, um, and actually ended up getting adopted. So my entire middle school is based off of my eighth grade design project. Um, so like I went back and it's still all set up like that, which is really cool. And that's when I realized I really loved working with other people, figuring out how to solve problems and feeling like I was doing something kind of impactful in a way. So I did a bunch of entrepreneurship summer programs um, like MIT Launch um, and one at Northwestern, and then ended up even starting an incubator out of my high school where I helped other students start their own companies. Um, So I would run weekly classes where I taught them about how to find like product market fit, how to do market sizing, how to think about product development, how to do pitches. Um, We actually ended up winning global MIT pitch competitions two years in a row, both years that I ran it, which is really cool. Um, And I think for me too, the biggest piece of that that I kind of carried on to SEPI was that in no way did I think any of the companies that were being started were like really great companies that were going to become billion dollar companies one day. But my very strong belief with entrepreneurship is that it gives you a sense of confidence once you're able to see the things that you're able, like you're able to create. Um, I think so many people go into the way that they approach things with a sense that they are almost like somebody that's following along to their own life. And I think like entrepreneurship gives you a really strong sense of agency in what you're doing. Like, it's like a lot of these people are high schoolers and they're realizing, oh, I can go to random businesses and pitch them on my idea, or I can like create a physical product that actually works. I think it's almost in the same way that a lot of people talk about engineering, but even in a larger sense of like taking control and like taking the steps and the initiative to create opportunities for yourself, which is really great. And I saw a lot of people in it that were really shy or had difficulty speaking, which was definitely me. I was very shy growing up other than when I did like public speaking and presentations, which seems really odd (laughs) in hindsight. Um, But a lot of them that were just able to come out of their shell more and really build a stronger sense of confidence through it. Uh, And I remember one of my favorite moments was they actually did like, they surprised me and like 
presented me with like gifts and like a flowers and like a in front of the entire school at like a giant school assembly and spoke about how much of an impact like the work I did in the club had on their life, which was just really sweet. And so I think when I went to, when I thought about SCPI and continuing that, a lot of it was just around, I wanna have, have other people have the same experience with entrepreneurship that I got to have and living in Belgium where there is basically no entrepreneurship whatsoever. It's not like you're living in Silicon Valley. It's something that almost similar to Michigan too, which has more of an entrepreneurship scene there for sure providing exposure to it to people that otherwise maybe wouldn't have thought about it. And even if they're not going to start their own company, I think that mindset is something that's super critical and really helpful in just saying like, hey, like you don't need to just go to career fairs and like sit back and see what opportunities are given to you. Like you are smart and like creative enough to come up with your own opportunities and taking on the confidence and the agency to be able to do that. So yeah, I think that was something that kind of carried through for me. You know, that, that was a whirlwind response, but just seeing your face beam and light up when you're talking about this entire entrepreneurial experience, it's clear how passionate you are about it. And I really, I agree with you. I think that sense of agency is the most important part of any student-led project. Because like you said, objectively, they're probably not all going to be winners. They're not all going to be the next unicorn, but that's really not the point. We, we've talked about this on the podcast before that people think of failure and any sort of entrepreneurial endeavor as being this barrier to entry. They're too afraid to have it not work out or get rejected from their pitches or whatever that may be. But really, it's not going to be failure as long as you're trying. You're gaining that confidence. You're learning those new skills. Um, and I think that's, that's the kind of entrepreneurial spirit we really embody in SCPI. And it seems like you've been embodying that this, along this entire process, right? I mean, if, I, if my tally is right, you're a master architect, you're a master entrepreneur, and you're a master educator. That's what it sounds like from uh, all, all of your wonderful experiences there. But it's all very, very exciting, exciting stuff. And so here you are. You've, you've founded these incubators. You've done great work. You've redesigned the school. And now you're in SEPI and you managed to join eBoard. Can you walk us through a little bit about what that process was and how sort of the transition from ENT to SEPI went for you? Yeah, so I became rush chair of ENT my sophomore year, um, which was a really exciting opportunity. At the time, we had no website, like no marketing materials, nothing basically. And so I got to create the website, which nobody can see anymore because it looked terrible. But um, it was like recreate the website, create new logos, create t-shirts, um, create a, like a lot of different things from scratch, which was super cool. It felt almost like that experience of creating your own company and like starting something. It very much felt like that. And I remember we ended up getting like our highest like brush application numbers ever that following year, which was really exciting and just got a lot of really great people. And I just loved running Rush because you just get to meet everybody. I always had a thing too when I was doing Rush and also while I was president. But I did practically every single interview. So for interview days, like I would camp out there the entire time and probably miss like only a couple of them just because I wanted to get to know everybody. And I wanted to be like the baseline for understanding where everybody was at. And yeah, also, it's just super fun to do interviews and get to know people. I remember during interviews, one of my favorite things is we had this question around like asking somebody to fire you and like act out firing them. And I uh, would really use my previous really poor middle school drama experiences um to pretend like react to all those different things but also it's just it was really cool to hear how everybody did and getting to talk about it so that was always one of my favorite experiences I um, agree. but I think, oops sorry just to, just to jump in that the rush process is so so impactful just for building out that network and finding those human connections because it's just it's so diverse SEPI attracts such a unique and eclectic group of people that all have their own unique passions and interests and that's really what being an entrepreneur is is just having that genuine passionate entrepreneurial spirit to go and be be your authentic self and be interested in things. And so I know we just wrapped up our, our most recent rush process, have a very exciting new group of pledges. But for everyone that was involved, it just was so inspiring 
and amazing to hear all about their stories. And those human stories are really what power entrepreneurship, what power business, what power innovation. Um, so I agree with you 100%. I think that was the most, most important part about SEPI and rushing as well. Yeah. And I think with the thinking about like changing from ENT and SEPI, when we were starting with ENT, it really felt like a blank slate. So like most of the rush process that you know of now did not exist when I joined. Like some of the things that we added around like the paperclip challenge, which we now do every year. I don't know if we do it in a virtual format because that's probably tough. And like some of the, a lot of the interview questions were all created like during that rush process that I did back in my sophomore year. And the reason we decided to transition from ENT to SEPI, basically we recognize that the point of being a part of like a national organization is the network that it provides us. And when we came across SEPI, we just saw the incredible schools that were a part of it. And also the fact that it was a lot newer of a national organization that we thought would be a lot more flexible in the long term, to which we would be able to get a lot more value out of it. And so being able to make that transition, it was a really scary one because for me, I had spent two years, I transitioned after my first year as president. So between my junior and my senior year, and having already spent two years, like building up the like brand of ENT of sorts and like feeling like you're building something to suddenly feeling like you're having to start from scratch to like change the name. There's a little bit of like a difficult decision around the emotional attachment to the name and like what had previously existed for the like past three years. And then realizing, okay, but from a logical, like objective perspective, this is a choice that makes most sense to do, um, to make this switch, even if it kind of feels like you're giving up a little bit of what you had previously built up and spent so much time on. Um, but I think it's, it's been a decision that has been really solid throughout and it hasn't really affected us negatively too much in the sense of having lower brand recognition or other things like that. I think that it, brand recognition on college campuses is also something that changes so much on a year per year basis because you always have new people coming in that frankly, it's not as valuable because the entire group of people that you have brand recognition with is transitioning each year. But the larger aspect of it was that the people were the same and we were just able to provide them be better benefits. I think the other huge learning for me was like leading the organization for three years is a great crash course and leadership of sorts of like trying to get an e-board together restructuring like the constitution, managing like lots of like various issues or new things that pop up. I think like we have an entrepreneurial group of members. And so they're always very eager to like propose new changes that could be made or ways to revamp everything um, and trying out new initiatives, which is great, but it's always like new things to come up with. But I think we also slowly iterated on what was valuable for the organization. So I think one of the things that we had previously experimented with more was doing weekly learning sessions. What we realized was that the more valuable things tended to be the larger events. So it was the retreats or doing things like treks where we would meet with lots of companies. And even if it was happening less frequently, those were ultimately the things that people felt were most valuable as far as like really concrete professional value. And then a lot of the other stuff was just a lot of the softer professional social stuff. Of like it's a wine Wednesday, so it sounds like it's social, but it's like also kind of professional because you're talking about startups and other stuff like that, and you're making those connections. Where like my current job, somebody else that was an SEPI at the time referred me to this job, um, and that's obviously not something that we would ever could ever explicitly market as a benefit, but it's something that happens organically in these sorts of groups. Right, those little conversations go such a long way. And honestly, that's the biggest thing you miss by being in this COVID virtual setting is just the side banter and talking about, oh, what do you think about this idea? I've been working on this. It's on the back burner, you know? And so building those up is what really helps you to iterate and turn this organization the best version it can possibly be. And I think it's kind of a metaphor for 
any sort of projects, right? You invest so heavily and you build this emotional attachment, like you mentioned, to a previous version of yourself that might not be best suited to tackle the new obstacles or challenges that are coming. And so do you have any advice about navigating that process, overcoming that sunk cost fallacy? Like, I put so much work into building up ENT. Here we are in SCPI. We know SCPI is going to be better for us long term. How do you kind of make that leap of faith and take that next step for something you know will be better for you long term, but might be difficult in the moment? Yeah, I think the really important aspect around that is just having people around you that you trust. So for me, the biggest part was I had an E-team around me, um, people like Nate, who were able to be somewhat of a sounding board that when I we were talking through these things, I was able to more effectively separate what are my feelings and like what is my gut instinct of choosing to stay with like what's the same and what's comfortable and what like on paper makes most sense. It was actually something that had been brought up the year before, before we made the transition to FCPI, I had been brought up a year before and kind of effectively shut down. Um, and then we were kind of put face to face to it once we went to ENT nationals and kind of realized like, yeah, this is not going to be an organization that really is, it's, it's an organization that was very different from ours on a national level, much more oriented around less so like tech entrepreneurship and more of like the small business entrepreneurship variety of people that want to start like their own restaurants or people that want to start local businesses, which is very much entrepreneurship as well. But I think for a long-term network value, we have a lot more people that want to move to San Francisco or New York or even Detroit to work at like a tech startup or something like that. And so it was more about creating a network and that broader identity that was in line with ours. But yeah, I think having the people around you that you trust to be like that, that check is a huge piece of it. And being able to then, when you create those more objective frameworks for evaluating things of saying, okay, like what are the pros and cons here? Having them again, be that person to call you out on your bullshit effectively of saying, okay, Emma, you're like justifying it in this way because that's how you're feeling and you're like leaning towards that. But if you look on paper, you understand it isn't that. And so having a team of people around you where they can be critical um, and tell you these things without it feeling like it's an attack or those sorts of conversations because you trust them is a huge piece of it and why we were able to move forward. And I think also they were a great support. So both Nate and Daniel, who were my like two like other C-suite members at the time, they were great in being able to also help with that transition where they did all the calls with other like SEPI schools to understand the leadership there, which just kind of validated the, validated the choice as well. But just knowing that there were other people behind you and knowing that like with E-team behind us as well, that this was a big decision, but it was one that a lot of people were in support of. Um, and trying to also just think about the organization as like broader than yourself. Of like, I was recognizing that, okay, I'm leaving here in about a year. I shouldn't be making these decisions based on like my short-term preferences. When at the end of the day, I want to be focusing on building a legacy in an organization that will last far beyond me. And that's a much more important piece. Definitely. I think that the community is always good just to kind of hold you accountable and make sure that your thought processes are actually making sense and in alignment with what is best for you and for the organization as a whole. Um, and that's a beautiful thing, whether you're starting a venture or changing the, the fate of the organization, right? Your community there is always going to be that source of support and pushing back intellectually on your ideas too. Just making sure that ultimately what's coming through that gauntlet is the best possible version of whatever you're trying to put out. Um, so I think that's huge. Now, just to go back to one of the previous things you mentioned is human capital. You said that you were connected with this through somebody in SEPI. Can you tell us a little bit about what your work is there and how that's still continuing to fulfill your entrepreneurial desires? Yeah, absolutely. So I think it actually aligns really closely with my previous work. Um, it's kind of interesting talking about it now because I think the dots all connect backwards in a lot of ways um, that I would not have seen them otherwise. But um, 
basically my human capital, our overall tagline is that we're an agency for engineers. So in the same way that you would think of celebrities as having agents or people to advise them throughout that process, we want to be able to do the same things for aspiring founders, um, whether they're students or a little bit further along in their careers. And so what I do specifically is I'm a part of the investment team and I lead most of the university investing. Um, so trying to find really bright student founders who are hoping to start something now or sometime later and thinking about how do we build out programs to prepare them for when they start that company five years from now or programs for them now when they want to drop out of school to work on something. So one of the programs that I launched as part of my job, um, actually only a couple months into it, was called the Delta Fellowship. Um, we're actually going to be launching it again in about five days. So my Slack is currently blowing up with messages of people <laughs> asking me to review various things right now. Um, but it, the idea behind it is, especially for last fall semester during COVID, it's just a fundamentally different college experience. And so we wanted to provide an opportunity for people who might want to take the semester off to have a little bit more of a structured environment to do so. Because when we talk to a lot of our successful student founders that we've invested in, like the co-founders of Brex, um, Bolt, Buys, Monthly, many of these companies that were started by freshmen or sophomores in college that are have raised Series A's from Sequoia or are now worth over a billion dollars. They said that when they were thinking about this current COVID situation and the pandemic that's occurring right now, what would have been best for them is to have a program that would support them and allow them to best utilize that time. And so we created a program for students that were taking the semester off to effectively just spend time exploring. And no business idea required going in. It was just about them as an individual and saying, hey, if we're really foolish about you as an individual, we want to help you make this time the most worthwhile by having you spend it exploring and potentially scaling an idea that you're passionate about and hearing from other really smart leadership within the tech community, whether they be founders or VCs or other people like that. And then also becoming a part of a community of other similar like-minded people. And it was actually the most successful program we've ever launched. So we were aiming for about 300 applications and we ended up getting 1300 plus. Um, we were featured wow. at TechCrunch Disrupt, which is like the big like TechCrunch conference and had an article written about us, which is super cool. And yeah, it was a really overwhelming process because we were, as I mentioned, we were aiming for about 300 applications. And so the time allocated for interviews and application review was not <laughs> taking that into consideration. So I did 12 hour days and weekends for about a month, <laughs> which was super Oof. crazy, but it was really worthwhile. We met some amazing people through it. And then I got to kind of run the entire program after that too, of working with these phenomenal founders of people that I'd done such impressive things already. Like somebody who had literally built um, a like new treatment for, or a new way to detect breast cancer for women in Afghanistan was something he had done at high school, for example. There was somebody else who had like invented a new water filtration system. One of them had published three books before the age of 15. Just so many like really crazy, impressive people. And so being able to work with them on a day-to-day was really inspiring. And just even beyond that, like so many of the people that applied were really, really great. Like I remember looking through the people that we were rejecting and many of them were way more impressive than the original people I thought we would even be getting. So it was just a phenomenal process in that regard. And really cool to be able to work with people where they're effectively the same age as me. And now I see them signing huge contracts with various large companies, bringing on co-founders, raising millions of dollars. And it's like, wow, this could be literally any of the people that I've met before, or just like these people who I already feel like are somewhat my friends. 
Um, and so it's been a really cool experience and kind of a continuation of what I was doing with SEPI. Because a lot of my work and like what I do with the company more broadly too of meeting with student founders who want to start something someday feels like a continuation of the work at SEPI of like talking to people, giving them feedback on their ideas, trying to find ways to support them and like get them excited and involved in entrepreneurship. Obviously, most of these people are already excited about entrepreneurship in some way, but still being like somewhat of a catalyst or at least like an accelerator of that progress is a really cool place to be. And I also think like for me having, I was previously involved with like a couple of other venture funds and also involved with Contrary on campus. And one of the things that I found was you meet so many student founders who are clearly super bright, but just haven't had the exposure to large enough problems to have a really great idea to work on. Like what I see a lot of like very repeated startup ideas among like student founders. And even though they're really bright, they just haven't had the exposure to large enough problems that present like the market opportunity to be super viable. Usually in a traditional venture fund, there's not really a way to engage with those types of people. So the fact that we're built out more around find somebody that you're super excited about versus say like a company that you want to back right now allows you a lot more flexibility to actually work with people that we think are really bright and then say, hey, we can actually place you to your first job at a startup. And then a couple of years later, we'll help you start your own company. And that's something we've done with multiple founders before, um, which I think is a really cool, again, focus on that long-term relationship. Right. It's really about investing in the people, like you mentioned, because especially at that stage, you're not really given an opportunity throughout any of your formal education to pursue things that are outside of the classroom or outside of your passions, right? You're given an assignment to say, write this essay about this topic, do this project, code this assignment. And there's never a chance for students to say, I'm really excited about this topic. I'm going to go out and pursue that. I'm going to start a venture. It might fail, but having that safe space where they can work within that framework learn these essential skills like we alluded to earlier, and then ultimately just grow as individuals who will later on, I'm sure, found something incredible like you're mentioning. I think that's, that's such an important aspect of it. And that's actually what we do with Optimize on campus. I'm not sure if you're familiar with it, but it's a similar yeah. thing, a student, student incubator um, that I've been super involved with. And I think it's just so inspiring to see that sense of agency just grow because you're believing in the people and giving them those frameworks and exposure that they need to ultimately leverage their intelligence and their experiences to pursue something that's more meaningful because like you said it's hard to know what the problems are especially you know coming out of this this experience and so finding finding ways to leverage people's time and talents and interests outside of just the traditional college sense i think is going to be such a big frontier moving forward and so you guys are really on the cutting edge of that which is amazing to hear this story yeah absolutely and i think it's exciting to be able to be working with something that's so mission aligned with what I want to be doing and the work that I really enjoyed doing before that it's pretty, I could have never imagined myself happening to like find a job where it was so aligned with like getting to work with young people who want to start companies and being right. supportive of that. Um, like I couldn't imagine something if I was creating a role for myself, that would be more in line with my previous experiences. Yeah, it very much seems like a, a dream come true. I think that's amazing. I'm, I'm very happy for you to hear that. Um, so just as we kind of get to the end of time here, I want to leave leave the session ending off as we do every time, which is asking you, if you were to look back on yourself, what would be advice that you give? What are some lessons learned or takeaways that you think have been so instrumental in helping propel you to this really amazing opportunity and help you to support so many young and exciting entrepreneurs? Yeah, um, I think like my big philosophy um, throughout most of my life that has done me well thus far, I mean, we'll see if it continues to, is that I'm a big proponent of not planning ahead whatsoever. 
So I hear a lot of people that will make like life plans of saying, oh, I'm going to go do consulting for two years. And then after that, I'll like find something I want to do. And this like postponement of what makes you happy based on like a broader life plan that typically happens. Like whenever I hear somebody have a 10 year plan, that 10 year plan always includes like eight years of them, like eating shit and like hating what they're doing. And then finally, like at the end of that, they'll finally reach what they're happy, something that makes them happy. And typically what I found is like, first of all, like that end goal, it's very, it's really not that certain that you'll reach that even if you check all the boxes before that. And also it's life is too short to be doing a bunch of things on like speculative future happiness. Now, obviously that's not to say like never study for things and like over-optimize on like current, like present happiness. But I think the idea is more to be evaluating things as they come. Like every internship or other opportunity I got was very much something that happened in kind of random or ad hoc way. Like my freshman year internship, I was sitting next to somebody at a dinner and um, ended up talking to them and they really liked me. And so they invited me to interview for the venture fund. My sophomore year internship was just me randomly applying to something on my phone, um, not even paying attention to it. And this one was one where my friend referred me there. I actually wasn't really super, it was for a different role that I was less excited about. And then I ended up being able to talk my way into like this role that they created for me effectively. And so I think the point is more to like keep an open mind and just evaluate opportunities as they come. And if you just keep doing things that make you happy and then just checking out what comes next and like building out a network of people that you're excited about, things will work out in the end. And there's no need to like stress out about the future or over-optimize on those future outcomes. Instead, like go with the flow to some extent. Obviously, like take initiative and be ambitious in the interim, but don't do those things at the expense of your enjoyment of what you're doing right now. I feel like you took the words out of my mind. Like we are, we are of the same brain there because that's exactly the same philosophy I've been preaching to all of my mentees, especially as we go through this, this college process, because it's so easy to get lost in that herd mentality of like, oh, I'm going to do this. I'm going to get a job at Goldman Sachs. I'm going to live in New York. I'm going to do all these things to get to some end goal where they think happiness will arrive. But if you look at psychology, that's really not how human brains function. That's not how you find a daily sense of joy. And so that's not to say that you shouldn't be working harder or doing things that will set you up well for success in the future, but it's really a matter of reflecting. And with every decision that you make, is this in alignment with my values? Is this something that's going to bring me fulfillment? And it might not be perfectly in alignment all the time, but it's just making the best available decision and not necessarily putting off until tomorrow where you can be happy today, right? And so I I think that's such a good philosophy. I love you articulated that beautifully. I wish, I really wish more people shared that mindset because it really will lead to such a more a mindful approach to wellness and overall experience in life. And that's the most important thing. That's when people are the happiest, the most productive, and can have the cool, innovative and creative ideas that'll really propel them to the next level. Um, so perfect advice to end off on. Really appreciate you taking the time to be here with us today and look forward to seeing what else you bring to the table moving forward with your amazing endeavors. Emma, so thank you so much. Yeah, thanks for having me.